Good morning. My name is Trent Walker. I'm one of the pastors here. Those of you joining us online, again, we welcome you. Uh, we are in what's known as the second day of Christmas. So between December 25 and January 6, historically, those are known as the 12 days of Christmas. Uh, December 25 is Christmas Day, a holy day, and there was a tradition in the uh, Eastern Church that January 6, the day historically or traditionally that the Magi showed up a year and a bit after Jesus was born, when they announced, because, because they had come from the East, they, had, they announced the, the birth of the Messiah to the world, the Eastern Church really celebrated that because the gospel of Jesus Christ wasn't supposed to be just for the Jews, but for all nations. And so the 12 days between December 25 and January 6 are considered holy days, holidays is where we get that, where that term comes from. Um, we're going to talk about John the baptizer today. We're in the book of Matthew. We'll be in the book of Matthew through the week after um, the week after Easter. It's a long gospel. Uh, Matthew is very technical in his writing. He's, uh, he, was a, he was an accountant or a tax collector, so he always paid attention to detail. And he has a very specific audience in mind. He is talking primarily to Jewish people who he's trying to convert to Christianity and to Jewish converts to Christianity to tell them the story of all the story of who Jesus is, not just was. And it's also, though, he, he knows that there are many uh, Gentile converts. He, this was written in 50 to, between 55 and 62 AD. Um, and there are lots of Gentile con, uh, converts that don't have a hist an historical connection with the Jewish faith. So one of the things that Matthew is very careful about is, um, is, is linking the gospel of Jesus Christ to history. So something that happened. And he, and he ties it back and, and walks the Gentile believers and the Jewish believers all the way back to, to Abraham as the father of the Jewish people and to David, the king whose throne would never be empty. There would be one who sits on David's throne forever. And we talked a couple of weeks ago, or last week, it seems like a long time ago. So three sermons last week, funeral on Thursday, uh, Friday, Saturday, and now three today. So to me, it feels like about a month ago that we talked about that, but it's just recent. But to catch some of you up very briefly, um, Matthew makes it clear that Jesus is not only the son of David, so he has, a, he, he has kingly background, but he's also the son of Abraham. So all the promises made to Abraham that, that God, through his uh, people, would bless all people groups, all nations, all tongues, that is the promise made to Abraham, that your descendants will be as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sands on the seashore, and all people of the earth will be blessed by you. In other words, God said to Abraham and all of his descendants that you have access, perpetual access to the truth of who God is and what his mission is for the world. And he entrusted that access to the truth of who God is and his mission to the world to the people of God to share with all the other people of God. And his miraculous works throughout history, how he rescued the people of God time and time and time again, were supposed to be testament that the people of God could communicate to the rest of the people of the world how good our God is, how great our God is, and that he is the one and only, the God above all other and I'm going to put it in quotes, gods. And one of the reasons that he does a genealogy is he wants, to, he wants to, 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 to secure the birth of Jesus in history, something that actually happened. 
And then his, his take on the infancy narrative, the, the, the birth of Jesus, Christmas, um, is a little different than Luke. Luke kind of concentrates on Mary and Zechariah and, and Elizabeth, and, and uh, even the genealogy is tied to Mary's side, not to Joseph's side. But, but in Matthew, it's primarily Joseph. And we, we talked about that uh, yesterday and the day before. And then there's also the Magi that came in. Uh, the, the, there were pagan stargazers from the east. And someone texted Lynn yesterday, say, wait, wait, the Magi were, were devil worshipers? Kind of. They worshiped pagan gods and they worshiped idols and anything that is not of God that's an idol is demonic and therefore comes from the evil one. So, yes, but they came to pay tribute to and actually worship a king of a people they knew very little about. They came to worship God in flesh, the God above all gods, even though they were people who worshiped pagan, non-God gods. So it's, it's a phenomenal thing, and, and that God would choose shepherds in Luke to announce his coming, that he would choose stargazing magicians from the east to come and be the first to worship Jesus in the gospel according to Matthew. It basically communicates there's no reason to share those things if they didn't happen, because they don't give all that much credibility. And today we're going to talk about, when it, uh, the Magi came, Herod was going to kill the, all, the, all the babies because he didn't want another king of the Jews. So an uh, angel came to Joseph, told him to escape to Egypt, and God financed that trip to Egypt with the gold, the incense, and the myrrh that the Magi brought. And so they were gone for a few years until Herod died. And then God, in a dream again, told Joseph it's time to come back. He came back, didn't, didn't like, he was thinking about going back to Bethlehem, but the ruler there wasn't good. So he ended up in Nazareth to fulfill the prophecy that, that, that the Messiah would come from Nazareth even, though, Nazareth, even though it was said that nothing good comes out of Nazareth. And then we fast forward in the Gospel of Matthew. So after that, then the announcement of Jesus' ministry, and that's the person of John the Baptist. And John the Baptist, I'm going to call him John the Baptizer because a lot of times we hear John the Baptist, we assume that the Baptist denomination was founded by John. Not the case. So John the Baptizer, he was one that baptized. And that's what Baptist means as well. But, um, and I'm going, to, I'm going to say a prayer, and I'm going to give you a little bit of background on, on John, but, uh, but more than that, on the Pharisees and the Sadducees and even the Essenes, so that you know what God is saying through the person of John the Baptizer when the Pharisees and the Sadducees show up. Um, so some of that background will be helpful as we read the rest of the gospel according to Matthew. Let me... So let's pray together. Lord, join us as we hear you speak to us. This is not my message for these people. It's your message to us. So whatever you want me to say, I want to say. And if there's something you don't want said, I don't want to say it. So convict me of it later, but do not let things that are not of you come out of my mouth today. And Lord, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to receive whatever you would have us see, hear, and receive. In the name of Jesus, we pray through the power of your Holy Spirit, for the glory of God our Father. Amen. So, a little background. And I know many of you, if you've been in church your whole lives, um, you know about the Pharisees and the Sadducees in particular. Um, let me just give you a, a kind of a, not a, I don't want to say a dumbed-down version, but a basic, what most people of the time, how they saw them. Um, there, a couple of years ago, we, we were hosting a conference here, and um, during a conference, I, you, I, I, my joke is I'm a preacher because I can't sit still in church. 
And if you have a conference, uh, seven hours one day, nine hours the next, and I'm sitting up here trying to be a good host and making announcements in between, I get fidgety. And so what I do is I, I will go out, like when I know the session is about to end, I will walk out either over here or back there, and I'll start changing out trash. So people have their coffee, they have their water bottles, and they fill up the trash. And it just, when, when the session's about to be done, you kind of want people to have a nice, clean trash can to put stuff in. And while, because I'm already here, there's no reason to bring in Mary, or there's no reason to bring in Alicia, although they're often here to help out. Um, but I'll just go around and start doing that. And, but one of the things I do, because I'm at, at heart, I'm blue collar, um, I keep my church keys on my belt. It's just easy. Now, it also makes it so the staff knows when I'm coming by because they jingle. And because I'm half deaf, I don't know that I'm jingling. So they all know I'm coming and they all... Um, so, but I'll, I'll have the keys on and I've got to get into a closet sometimes to get a trash bag. But I was right out here and it was, it was the, the, the Global Leadership Conference, I believe. And it was when it was big. And someone walked out and I'm pulling out the trash and some nice, nice lady walks up and says, I just want you to know how much we appreciate the work you do. And I thought it was sweet. I didn't say anything. But she goes, I, I just, I just, I don't think people that do what you do get enough credit. And then 10 minutes later, after the break, I'm up front making announcements. And I had to introduce myself as Trent Walker. I'm one of the pastors here. Afterwards, she walked, I had no idea who you were. <laughs> and I thought it was cute. I like it. Um, I like being, because uh, you'll see me sometimes. I'll, like I opened the door for people last night. And someone goes, oh, this lead pastor opened the door. Well, that's what I'm most qualified to do. Um, and taking out trash is, is, I do it at home. I might as well do it here. The Pharisees and the Sadducees are the type of people culturally that wouldn't say, that wouldn't go empty trash. They're the kind of people that if someone confronted them on something, they would say something like, do you know who I am? Do you understand who you're talking to? They would also be the kind of people that in the, in the airport, if, if they had something um, something in their hand, some trash or something, they couldn't find a trash can, they just set it down in the corner. And if someone goes, you need to pick that up, well, they have people for that. Those are the Pharisees and the Sadducees, but they're, they're too different. The Pharisees were kind of the, the lay leaders. They were the people that didn't, that didn't necessarily have all the advanced degrees. They weren't of the priestly class, but they had decided that they wanted to take the law of God, the way to be faithful and righteous before God. They wanted to take that and not just do it at temple worship, but they wanted to communicate to all the everyday people how you can in your day-to-day -day life live faithful to God and his law. How you, an individual person, a blue-collar person, an artisan, a shopkeeper, how you might be faithful and righteous before your God. And they, what they were best known for is keeping the oral tradition. There was the law of God, and then there were these, these other written um, rules for Jewish interaction, and then there was the, the traditions passed down through the rabbis uh, called the oral tradition. And they were really steeped in oral tradition. Now, the, the Sadducees, they, they were the priestly class. In fact, um, John the baptizer's dad was a Sadducee because he was a chief priest when the angel of the Lord came to him and told him that he was going to give his wife, he was gonna, his wife was going to be with child, and, and he questioned him, and he, and he struck him dumb. But he was a Sadducee. So the chief priests, the Sadducees, they were, they were temple worship was everything. What happens at church was the most important thing, and, and what kind of lambs could come to be sacrificed. And, and they were aristocrats, and they had influence. M many of them, if they weren't of the priestly class, but they were Sadducees, they had money. 
and they made sure that things that, that they threw their weight around a little bit. They were the ones that would really say, do you have any idea who you're talking to? And the Pharisees, who were kind of the, 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 the lay leaders, the, 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 let's just say the non-aristocrats, but very faithful, and the Sadducees, the aristocratic temple influencers, who also had a pretty good relationship with Rome, they were always at odds with one another. It's not about that, it's about this. No, it's not about that, it's about this. And there's lots of arguing and dividing around the temple. So the Sanhedrin, which was kind of the, the, the general synod, we'll say, of, of Jerusalem, um, the Pharisees were a minority and the Sadducees were the majority. They had more power over temple, but the Pharisees were pretty popular with the everyday Joes. Um, and, and, and so when they walked around town and people had questions for them, they would, take, they would take their answers more, as we would say, as gospel than they would the temple leaders, the Sadducees. And then there's this other group called the Essenes. Some people want to say that John the baptizer was an Essene. We know that's not true because of his ministry was different than the ministry of the Essenes. The Essenes. But the Essenes were probably the people that you've probably heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls that were found in the 40s in Qumran, uh, outside of the Dead Sea, uh, near the Dead Sea. Um, that's where John the baptizer was doing his ministry, where he was baptizing. But, but the Essenes had, had kind of separated themselves. The Pharisees were called the separated ones, but the Essenes actually separated themselves. They were there to prepare, to remain holy, to collect scriptures, to, to meditate and to pray and to usher in the coming war that the Messiah was going to bring. So they were preparing to be warriors and they were kind of monastic warriors. And then enters this guy named John the Baptizer. So all this stuff is going between Malachi, when Malachi finishes up in the Old Testament, to the development of the, of, of the New Testament. There's about a 400 year stretch there where all of these things are kind of popping up. There was a revolt in the middle of that where the Hasmonean Empire was, was ruling over the Israelites and the Maccabeans uh, resisted. They, they, they did committed guerrilla warfare from, from the desert, uh, and they kind of won back independence for a little while, but then came, then came Rome, and Rome was brutal. And so all this expectation, this desire, this hope for independence, for the glory days of King David, and when Israel was, was feared by other nations, not just tolerated by other nations. So all this anticipation of the coming Messiah, Matthew has already announced that the Messiah is here, but he's a child. And then we fast forward to probably 26 to 28 years uh, during that time is when, when, when John the baptizer is doing his ministry. And the reason to give you that background is because you're going to see or you're going to hear what John the baptizer says to some Sadducees and Pharisees. And, and it might seem like he's singling them out. And I want to communicate today that that's exactly the opposite of what he's doing they tend to single themselves out. And he's saying, you're just like everybody else. It reads like this. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the desert of Judea and saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Now think about that for a minute. We, we today, um, if we have a dignitary coming, if there were a king coming to, to the United Nations, but even let's just say the vice president of the president of the United States is coming to West Michigan. What's going to happen? I mean, even, even when Gerald Ford, we, we got caught um, when Gerald Ford's body was coming for his funeral. It was at the airport. It flew in on Air Force One. And, and we were coming back from, I don't know if it was Florida or from Breckenridge, Colorado or something like that. But 
96 and then 196 shut down. They had snipers on every overpass. I don't know what they were going to do to Gerald R. Ford. But there were lots of dignitaries. So what do they do? They clear the way. I remember when I was at Hardawike years ago and George W. Bush, the president, came and, and he stopped at Captain Sunday to get, but two weeks before he showed up, the Secret Service was at Captain Sunday interviewing the people and making sure that the right people who could pass the background test were the only people there to serve ice cream at this kind of random stop. It wasn't random at all. The Secret Service come to prepare the way. That's what's being said here with John the Baptist. Um, for the, it, it, he was prophesied to be there it's from early in Isaiah, in the book of Isaiah, that to prepare the way for the king. Back then there were rocks and there were, there, were, there, there were ruts and all that kind of stuff on a road. If you knew the king was coming, you sent a crew out to get rid of the rocks, to clear the way, to make sure bandits weren't hiding in the nooks, and to, and to kind of repave or at least fill in the potholes. So in a way, that's what's being said here, that a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey, not unusual for Bedouins, for nomadic people. Um, locusts, kind of a migratory grasshopper, really. Um, they could ab absolutely devastate fields, but they were really, they were everywhere in the desert, and it provided protein. But I don't know if you've ever um, done one of those things. When I, was, when I started on Young Life staff in 1988, that was the year of the cicadas. And I know cicadas are different than locusts, but there's the closest thing I was ever going to eat. And they, they fried them up, or they dipped them in chocolate like fondue. And I, once, once, I ate a locust. But it, they, it, because it's a, an animal product that has protein, and wild honey um, from the bees actually has a pretty good um, antibiotic uh, or an antiviral and antibiotic. Wild honey is really good for you, and it gives you the carbs that you might need. So while we look at that and we go, ugh, it wasn't unusual for people that lived in the desert to have their primary diet be wild honey and, uh, and, and, lo and wild locusts. I, I do, I do want to ask this, though. You know, he wears that thick camel hair. They say that the camel hair um, was really good at being almost waterproof. And, and, and John, every time he's depicted, he's just kind of a crazy man, kind of creepy John. Um, but I wonder how often that guy was stung by bees. Have you ever collected wild honey without the bee suit? I haven't. But I don't want to be stung. I just want to know. This guy, he, he, he lived a life that was a, a steward. He was alone, but something about him drew people to him. We see that right here. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. So something about this guy that's a little bit loud, a little bit odd, a little bit eccentric, wearing camel hair, um, bathing primarily with sand, and, and when he would baptize people, he'd go into the Jordan River. But if you've ever seen the Jordan River, it's just a muddy river. Nothing real cleansing about it. So he, he hangs out where prophets often hung out. He also hangs out in an area where the desert is where the people of God, when they were wandering around and they didn't know where they were going, the Negev, that's where they spent 40 years. So there's all kinds of symbolism here. But something about as people, when his ministry started, as people would pass by and he would yell out to them, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. There were two things going on. One, what does he know? 
What does he know about me? How could he be telling me to repent? But two, they hear the words kingdom of heaven is near. That, that sparks in them the anticipation, the hope of the coming Messiah. So if the Messiah is coming and in their mind, he's going to take Rome and send them away and we're going to be reestablished, it would be good for us to cleanse ourselves and prepare our hearts for the coming Messiah. So somehow his message got out. There wasn't Twitter Facebook or YouTube, there wasn't any of that stuff back then. It was purely word of mouth. But people came from Judea, from Jerusalem, from all the, the, the area of the Jordan to hear him preach. And his message was the same. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Make, straight, make, make your hearts right for the coming of the Messiah. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, brood of vipers? Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think that you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children of Abraham. The ax is already at the root of the trees. And every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize with water for repentance. But after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am unfit to carry. I will baptize you, or he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. I don't know about you, but if I, I, I can tell you the few times that I've been, when I was in seminary, I had to preach in front of seminary professors. And at, when I planted watershed, one of my, my, one of my favorite professors, Chris Kaiser, his, he, he's the smartest man I've ever met, the smartest man I know personally. He reads quantum mechanics for recreation. Unbelievably brilliant. And for some, some reason, I, I got him. I, I just understood him when he was trying to teach. But his son was worshiping with us. And a couple of, couple of months into Watershed, I'm standing up to preach, and in walks the Reverend Dr. Chris Kaiser. Oh, man going to mess something up. He's going to judge me. I got to say, and it shouldn't be that way. Every time a visiting pastor comes and, and I'm standing before them, I'm like, oh man, I hope he's not disappointed. There's this little piece that you want to, you, you want to impress, or at least you don't want to disappoint. I would think that if I were John and the Sadducees and the Pharisees showed up that I might, hey guys, just a heads up. It's coming. Get ready. Nope. Not John. He didn't do that with any passerby. He didn't do that with anybody else. He yelled and screamed and said, repent, judgment's coming, the kingdom of heaven is near, make way for the king. And he did not change his message for the Pharisees or the Sadducees. He didn't. In fact, he said, who gave you word that this is happening? Repent. Make way. And if you don't, everything that you stand for is going to get cut down. I love this about John. He is unintimidated by the people who are supposed to be intimidating. He's unintimidated by the people that say, you know who I am. Do you realize who you're talking to? He's like, yeah. And you need to hear the same thing as everybody else. Do not think that you can say, here's who I am. I'm a child of Abraham. The stones, God can raise up children of Abraham from the stones. I love this 
Because it's in keeping with Jesus when, he, when, it, when we're told that God, Jesus, has no, he's no respecter of persons. It doesn't mean he doesn't care about individuals. I mean, he doesn't, he doesn't care about how powerful you are. In fact, the whole Sermon on the Mount starts off with the people that aren't powerful, they're going to be raised up. So I love the fact that his one mission is to not draw a following to himself, but it's to pre- prepare people to follow the Messiah, the Chris Kindle, Chris Kringle, the Christ child who now is coming in just, depending on how you, how you read this, just days or months. So here's my challenge to all of us. Jesus entered a world very much like ours, just without the technology. A seeming peace that was kind of being held together by authoritative um, rulers, and we look all around the world and we see some of that. Division, people that wanted, wanted to separate from, people that wanted to argue with, people that wanted to hate their neighbor, very similar to then. He entered a world that peace was vicarious. It was barely being held together. But there was oppression and hatred and judgment and anger and power. And he enters the world of power as a powerless child. And then as as the one who prepares his way when he's coming into his ministry, John the baptizer has one goal, to prepare the way for the Lord. And he's going to say the same thing to the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the Essenes, who he preached nearby, the teachers of the law, the silversmith, the blacksmith, the home builder, the artisan, the shopkeeper, the shepherd. John's message is the same to every one of them. Prepare, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. I don't know when Jesus is coming back, but I can almost guarantee he will enter a world that is not unlike the world we live in today, which is not unlike the world he was born into the first time. But our job as followers of Jesus is to be like John the baptizer. We don't have to wear camel hair and eat locusts and and, and get stung by bees. We don't have to yell and scream. But we are to prepare the way for the Lord. We are to call as, as often as God gives us the opportunity people to repentance. There was a there, there there's this thing going around. I don't know if you've heard about it, but COVID nineteen? It's been worldwide. I don't have you heard? And it looks like I don't know, but it looks like this Omicron thing might push away Delta and, and give people immunity with a, with, a, with a really bad cold. I hope to God that that's true. I hope to God that God is giving us natural immunity. But somehow, some way, we, we started thinking in the church that our job was to get rid of COVID. And we should be careful and we should, be, we, we should care about people. We should not try to infect someone. It would be terrible to do. But our mission has never changed. We're supposed to prepare people's hearts to receive Jesus Christ, the Son of God, sent to forgive us of our sins. And while there are other things that come alongside and seem to be a priority, and it's okay to, 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 
to be careful. But our mission is the mission of John the baptizer, to preach repentance. If necessary, call out sin. And to say the one who we're pointing toward is the one who saves all. So we shouldn't be able to say, well, I've been going to church my whole life. I'm good. That old illustration that, look, I spent a lot of time in my garage. Doesn't make me a car. Spent a lot of time in church. Good. It's a good thing. Keep doing it. But why? Because you're bending your knee and laying your head before the Most High God in worship? I hope so. Because we cannot say, my grandparents were Christians, my great-grandparents were Christians. Christianity goes way back in my family. That's like Lynn, if I propose to Lynn and she goes, well, my parents were married. Yeah, I believe in marriage. My grandparents, my great-grandparents, in fact, my great-great-great-great-grandparents were married. That doesn't say yes. That says she believes in the concept of marriage. It doesn't mean we're getting married. Until she says yes, it's a no. And so this is my, I believe God called me to do this this week. This is my reminder to you that you cannot rest on spiritual laurels, that you can only rest on the grace of Jesus Christ. So if it's been a while since you bent your knee and said to the Lord, forgive me, have mercy on me, a sinner, then maybe today's the day. That is what John was calling people to, no matter where, whatever their station was in life. He called them to repentance and to make their hearts soft to receive the Lord. So it doesn't matter if it's the first time, the fifth time, the 50th time, or the 500th time. Today's the day to say, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. I need you to transform me and renew in me a right spirit. Let's pray. Almighty God, we bless you. We thank you for who you are, for what you do in us, for what you do for us, and even for what you're going to do through us. We pray that you remind us that we are like John the baptizer. And we're also sometimes like the Pharisees and the Sadducees where we think that we've got it figured out. But his message to them was the same as his message to the travelers by. Remind us, Lord that the grass fades, the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.